Hi, I'm Ginger. And I'm lovely assistant Robin. And this is the next episode of the Keto UK podcast. Now with sultry soft voices and proper microphones. So if you're watching this on Spotify, or if you're listening to this on Spotify, then it should sound a lot nicer than the last few episodes. Almost ASMR, dare I say. Yeah. The podcast is now available through Spotify, should be on iTunes, uh, a, a lot of different services. If you check out the page of the podcast, it will tell you. You're likely seeing these. You can actually see our lovely faces on YouTube. And if you are a Patreon, you, this is just the beginning of an hour-long podcast yeah. that is coming to you at the beginning of January and will cover four different topics that people will see throughout the entire month of January. A new episode is out for everybody to see every Friday, and for you, Patreon is out now, and you will discover already what the big deal is gonna be about February. And we can see how long we can keep this going on coming up with four ideas for each one that are directly related to keto. And hey, that's the good part of it. If you're a Patreon, feel free to come to us through the Patreon page where you actually can see the entirety of the episode and suggest us ideas if you would like to look into something, for us to look into something and consider discussing it in a next episode. By all means, that's what we're here for. Yeah, I mean, this works very well for uh, topics that maybe we uh, topics that maybe we have more of a personal opinion of rather than uh, going in deep and doing the research and coming up with the hard facts. Now this is very much more uh, how we feel about certain things. Now for the first topic of the January podcast, because January actually is the month where the most people, the most newbies yeah. come across for keto, we thought we would go and try and have a go at remembering, no matter how long ago it was, uh, what we were doing when we started keto. I mean, it's even just remembering what the topics for this podcast are, which, although we've discussed them over and over again for a month, I've forgotten every single no, time. We're, we're good, we're good. Like, the first one seems, uh, at the very least, empathetic enough. Yeah. So whether you're actually one of our faithful gingerlings and you've been around for quite a while, maybe from the beginning of Keto in the UK, which was almost three years ago now, yeah. and uh, whether you've been there since then or whether you're just uh, new to Keto and are wondering, oh, this, this all sounds so complicated like why why would I why did I get myself onto this well hopefully sharing with you how we got started and why we stayed basically maybe can be helpful because even starting keto in the UK in 2017 at that point I had been keto for three and a half years already yeah whereas I had yeah, well I'd actually heard about it quite a lot because I was on reddit a lot and mm. when the keto craze kind of first started it was appearing in my feed, which interestingly appears less now, but then Reddit has changed the way that it works. Mm. I, I see more and more about the intermittent fasting uh, yeah, subreddit. Intermittent fasting is a big one right now. Uh, mm. That's where a lot of people are posting some quite amazing success stories. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, I also appreciate how it works because uh, rightfully, if you reduce the amount of time that you actually eat, you can eat. Uh, you are able to eat less calories yeah. in one go unless you've you're trained yourself as well as I did. <laughs> but that's another story. No, I, I started, well, in 2013. And because um, I, I started to get worried, like for the, the six months previous, I, I started to literally doze off beyond my control every single time after I ate. Like I was literally having... Uh, those almost pass out diabetic effects yeah. that I've seen in other people, like especially if I was 
eating somewhere and then we were driving somewhere else uh, with my partner at the time and it was really scary because they were getting really really mad at me because I was losing off and I really tried to fight it hard and when I realized it's not a matter of will yeah. I'm almost passing out and I was like this, this I can't quite control so I started getting some uh, um, blood works done and uh, Curiously, I mentioned it in a few videos that actually describe how I started, but curiously, um, I had uh, signs of uh, pre-diabetes that are not usually the ones that people are recognized for. Usually you are diagnosed with pre-diabetes if your HbA1c, your glycated hemoglobin, uh, is over 5.5, I think. Uh, so if it's over that, it means that for the last three months, the level of glucose that you had was higher than usual. And to that level of high means that your insulin wasn't quite efficient in making you use glucose. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're pre-diabetic. I didn't have that. I never had that. My HbA1c was always um, ship-shaping shiny. Yeah. <laughs> it's also one of the things that Tim Knox brings up uh, quite a lot in his lectures on uh, how we should be testing for diabetes because if you just test on glucose levels and HbA1c levels, then that's giving you kind of the last chapter exactly. of a book. Which is problematic. There is a beautiful book uh, that I discussed during the last year. I'll, I'll measure it and you'll find it. If you're on YouTube, you'll find it linked in the description below. And it's The Diabetes Epidemic and You by Dr. Kraft. Its point is, is just basically the, the entire fact that uh, it's not so much the glucose, but it's the insulin levels that reveal at which point you are. And the way that I was diagnosed with prediabetes wasn't quite uh, uh, popular at, at the time at all. And I think I was uh, the, the person who told me, who interpreted my blood works at the time, was actually an intern, a, a student doctor in, in the practice that I was back in London. And in fairness, they weren't different blood works from any time that I did them before. They had something peculiar they always had, but at that point I used to think that it was normal because that's that's what they told me all the time. And what happened to me was that usually I had, every time that I had a glucose test, so when you, when you get your blood measured for glucose uh, fasted, so in the morning before eating or drinking anything, and then you go have uh, what they suggest to be a very carby breakfast, so all of a sudden all the pastries and pen au chocolat are allowed because they told you to do so. And because of that, I go there, I have my breakfast, I go back after an hour and a half, two hours, and they take the test again. And usually my glucose at that point, uh, for the millimole values, would go down at least one millimole, which yeah. is a lot. Uh, there is, in general, in, in the curves of how insulin works, Technically, you can go lower than when you started after two hours in glucose terms for a slight rebound effect, but it shouldn't be more than 0 0.2, 0 0.4 tops. So like that can still be the rebound effect because insulin was out. Or even just the uh, inaccuracy in measuring. Exactly. Like it, it's within the margin of error. But when it gets to one millimole, that's a lot, that's relevant. And that's always been the case. I've done oral glucose tested for as long as I can remember, because I was always a fat child, so they, they worried straight away if I was diabetic already, and I never was, and actually my glucose was always so low, and it was lower after eating carbs. And nobody highlighted that that wasn't quite how it was supposed to be, because lower as it went, it never went into actually hypoglycemia, yeah. so where I would faint or anything. But nearly. But nearly, but the, because of where I was starting from, that was really too low. But because, it, like, if I was starting at 5.3, yeah. I would go down to 4.3, which is still fine. 
you, you can still go around and do your things unless you get to 3.5 you don't start to get paid i think once we saw you at 2. Point something that was problematic maybe <laughs> but yeah because of that and that one time it was mentioned i was like oh okay so what am i supposed to do if this is a, a sign of pre-diabetes nobody ever told me anything about that my fba1c is fine because my glucose is always in in, in check yeah. and they just suggested well, if the issue is with carbohydrates, start looking into things that maybe cut them a bit, like yeah. Atk literally the words were like Atkins and such. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they gave me no other information. So that day I went home and I was like, right, what's this thing? Because um, I didn't like the idea. They were like, otherwise, let's do more tests in six months and see if it's worth uh, putting you on metformin to start salvaging the situation. And I was 30 at the time. Yeah. I didn't quite like the idea of going in meds. So that's, that's what happened at the time. That's the reason I had to look into it. You, you were more forced into it. Well, uh, the first time, the first time around, yes. Because uh, when we first started living together, uh, me bringing in lots of carby foods or eating takeaways, uh, like it's, it started off with, okay, if you're gonna eat that food, you need to eat it in a different room from me. Uh, and then when it became to us buying groceries together, yeah. uh, it ended up, basically buying two separate lots of groceries so it was getting more expensive and it, it's just a case of like right I'm buying this we're eating this so uh, yeah you, you're gonna eat what I put in the house I think also one thing that at the time maybe I didn't vocalize it as much because at the time I, w I was being a little rough I, I, I was trying to test you basically but one of the things that I was actually concerned about was I, I, I knew already back then even if it was just a year into keto that we met that when you have high carb hand eye fat, yeah. it never ends well. And you were having kind of both at the time. Like you were having like the cheese that was around yeah. or the odd uh, stromboli, cauliflower stromboli or fathead that I would make, uh, but also whatever kind of potato or chips yeah. or anything. So that concerned me at the beginning. But then the, uh, like the first time I voluntarily went keto then was, I guess, yeah, when I turned 25 and uh, my ability to not gain weight no matter how much I ate just sort of disappeared as everyone warned me that it would i don't know do you think that that was the case no I... it, was, it was it was because i was taking antidepressants at the time <laughs> but uh well the interesting thing i found with that is like yeah i knew that the reason why it was making me gain weight is because my appetite was always high mm. so i was just eating quite a lot more and yes then it involved lots of uh, then it involved lots of cheese uh and chips but when i started keto i know yeah i never tracked anything uh, like I, I didn't track anything at all and uh, just kind of ate what I felt like as long as it was keto stuff and I lost some weight. I, I, I pretty much like stayed the same weight that uh, I'd gotten to, maybe lost two kilos or something uh, and then it wasn't until I started quite like a high stress job yeah. and uh, I, yeah, I decided to spend, well I realized that I, I used to love cooking, I love making meals and recipes and that since starting keto I'd gotten really boring and just eating something straight out of the fridge. I, I blame myself for that because you had the passion, you've always had the passion for cooking while I had to acquire the ability, not even the passion yeah. of cooking with keto because before keto, I lived off of the microwave. So having seen me do very, very simple, not even dishes, but meals, uh, like essentials, like the other day, for example, to give an idea of how much I don't think about making a proper meal, but I just, cook something and that's gonna be the meal um, 
we had sausage meat left from Christmas and I just decided to make a very elaborate but, but stuffing. Yeah. And stuffing is a side and you have it with chicken, you have it with turkey, you have it with gravy. I just made stuffing and the macros were all right, so that was good enough. So that's the way that I eat. Uh, well, Robin, rightfully, you make such beautiful, complex yeah. dishes. But the, yeah, the thing was that I, so I decided to go back onto carb diet so I could get back into cooking. But the job I started at the same time was mm. so stressful that I just, I just basically lived off of the Greg's frozen yeah. pastries that they sold in Iceland and uh, chicken strippers, uh, breaded chicken strippers for six months. Thankfully, I was so active in that job that I was able, I think I did lose about three or four kilograms over the course of that. 12 hours a day, yeah. though. That wasn't a way to sustain life. And, uh, but then we moved to Cardiff and I didn't have another job lined up when I got here. And in those three months, eating the same way that I was without the daily activity, just, I ballooned. I got to an actual overweight BMI. Uh, you were on quite, you were at the board. 24.9, yeah. <coughs> exactly. But I was like, I've never been overweight. I refuse to be overweight. And so that's when I went onto keto properly, did the, did the tracking thing. When, but again, once I got the hang of understanding, right, this much food has this much carbs in it, this much has this much fat in it, uh, then I can kind of just go off and uh, go as I felt. And uh, yeah, I think like the big revolution for me was discovering the mozzarella wraps with tuna yeah. mayo inside yeah. of them. That the, the fat content from that was perfect uh, for me to then, uh, yeah, that's when I lost uh, the 25, well, the 20 kilos in around about six, seven yeah, months. When, when we put you on high, high fat, yeah. uh, you can literally see on the, on the weight loss line that there's this yeah, it's going like Deeper. this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when, uh, uh, despite, despite the naysayers, that's when the actual weight loss happened because at that point you were always around 90% fat and that's when yeah. you were always at excess calories, you were always at 90% fat and that's how you burn, baby, burn. Now, I, I wish that I, um, I had a better memory of, of the time when I started. I genuinely remember it to be very, very simple and, and dumbed down because again, at yep. the beginning for me it was actually Atkins. So I, I signed in on the Atkins website, which at the time wasn't as much of a brand as it is today, mm -hmm. where it tries to sell you stuff that really doesn't matter that the word Atkins is there, it really isn't. And uh, it, it really wasn't focused on calories, which was good. And incidentally, going back to my old diaries, it always shows that I was never at a calorie deficit even back then. Like my days were around 2100, 2200 yeah. calories. Sometimes I would go over, but if I was over with fat, those would still be the days that I would lose the most. And it pains me that it took me six years to go back and analyze those diaries to realize, oh, if I have meatballs and then my protein goes over 100, I'm putting on weight. How is it possible? There were no carbs. And the same way, oh, I've made these fat bombs and I've had like 4,000 calories yesterday, but it was all fat and I've lost two pounds. How is that possible? I mean, it's the one thing that I am very grateful for is that the first diet that I've ever technically gone on was the keto diet. Because mm. if I'd gone on all the different like juice cleanses and 1,200 calories a day, then I would have made life so much more difficult. You yeah, you never thankfully had any reason to uh, touch your metabolism in a bad way like you had and you still do in fairness have a very rampant metabolism every time that something happens we see it we notice for how quickly you even go through glycogen when you have carbs and yeah I mean it's, it's like when they do any kind of uh, medical experiment on how something works they need a I guess like average human yes an average human that uh, is the 
an average human that works in normal ways so that they can test how it works on a normal person and then you can add in difficult multipliers. I mean, I think that the difficulty there is that, yes, you are a human where everything works perfectly fine. You're not the average human on keto because if you come to keto, chances are that there is already something in your health or in your way that you want to modify and that's the reason why you looked into keto. Yeah. So usually those issues are insulin and metabolism related. Yeah. You have nothing of that. You're, you're, you could technically have and live on carbs and you were still skinny if it wasn't too much in excess. So. But the, yeah, the handy thing is being able to say uh, how keto works for an ordinary person. Yes. Because a, a lot of people will say like, oh, don't bother with keto if you don't have some kind of insulin issue oh, uh, really? but yeah I mean, i've kind of said that to some people like if they really are struggling with cutting things out and the the restrictions then i'll say well if you don't have an yes. insulin issue don't bother but honestly once you do get used to it it is very maintainable uh, you just as soon as you can get rid of the sugar addiction mm. and you lose those carb cravings then yeah life just becomes so much more I think there's also possibly a, a, an age-related issue so that you either come to keto because you've already developed any kind of metabolic issue and then keto likely can help you uh, better them or improve them or actually reverse them like with type 2 diabetes uh, or I and I'm going on a wild wild uh, um, tangent here but possibly if you start doing it when you're younger you just keep yourself healthy. Yeah. And I'm sure prevention doesn't sound as cool or good mm -hmm. because, I mean, if you haven't gone uh, very far down the bad side and so like you have diabetes, you have PCOS, you have inflammation, you have asthma, you have all those things that are related to inflammation. So you can't see how much things improve if you do keto and see, if you just keep on being all right, uh, you don't think that the benefit is to keto. So I think uh, in a way- Well, what was, that, what was that reality show with the, uh, the plus size dancer. My big fat fabulous life. My big fat fabulous life. Whitney. Whitney. Yeah, so Whitney uh, has, Whitney was going on for about three seasons uh, claiming that being big doesn't mean you're unhealthy and she can do anything and then she hit what 29 and got diabetes? Yes, yes I think something, I, yeah. And so then she actually had to have this big moment of like oh I've been saying that I've been healthy, I've been saying healthy at any size but here I am developing all these issues because she also had what PCOS. And... Yeah, it was heartbreaking in fairness. And yeah, yeah it was. But that's the thing, when you're young, you're very resilient. Like they say babies bounce for a reason. <laughs> and it works up until you kind of get into your late 20s. And if something's going to go wrong, it'll start going wrong then. Because I guess, yeah, the, the efficiency of your entire body and metabolism has to depend on how... As long as you're still growing. Yeah. If you're growing, then a lot of your energy goes into that. So what would be the one thing that you suggest to someone that has come to keto on the 1st of January, typing into how to do the keto diet, and they are bombarded by all this, this, this stuff about keto. So when, when you got started, what's the thing that was like, ah, if I'd known this, or if I knew actually knew this, that's calm enough to start and it's okay to do. Well, the first time I started, I just went off of bacon and eggs, but I couldn't handle the butter. That's true. You I, had an, I had an issue, uh, an issue stomaching that much butter on things. Now I can eat as much butter as what, I like. What do you think can change though? Like is it just a, an, incre an increase of lipase you reckon? Or? Probably, oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, it wasn't digesting mm. when I was eating it. So I, I remember that time we went to the gym mm. and I'd had eggs for breakfast and halfway through the gym I just threw up violently because I couldn't digest anything that I'd eaten and I was shaking it all up a bit. Oh. 
but I, yeah, I guess my advice would be uh, listen to your own body. Like, don't force it to do anything it doesn't want. If you just because you've read something that some keto guru has written online uh, doesn't mean it's going to work for you, or that you should stick to it just because they say it should work. And I think it's something that we talked about in the in last month podcast. We'll make a proper video soon about. But that's the entire concept behind the keto reset, because uh, especially with people just looking for the simple and quick answer, which usually is meal plans at this time of the year. The truth is uh, not only things work differently for different people, uh, but you also need to understand yeah, how you react to things. Like one of the things that I posted today on the Patreon only group was my um, diary from yesterday saying, see, this is why I know that I ate keto yesterday, but I know what my limits are on keto, which are not everybody's limits on keto. If I go on ketogenic dieters and then tell them that I ate 98 grams of protein, they will tell me that I actually ate too little yesterday. Yeah. Whilst instead, having 98 grams of protein and 19 grams of carbs, I knew full well, if I had tracked before eating, I would have known full well, those are 40 grams, actually 50 grams more of protein that I can allow myself. I'll also tell you that it was the fat. Like that's, if you showed them that diary, they, they would tell you actually it was the fat oh, yeah, of course. that uh, <clears throat> added on the weight. Despite the fact that if you take away the protein, the fat doesn't make you put on weight. If you take away the fat, the protein will make you put on weight. Uh, you know, I think uh, one of the things that uh, I should, uh, I, I will try to dedicate more time to. It's something that I've uh, uh, noticed recently in the keto community and it's because it's got popular with uh, people that go to the gym, a lot of people that do keto actually have never been uh, overweight, which is amazing because it's healthy in general, but that's the reason why their approach to think of keto as a weight loss diet is still just in calorie terms, which really yeah. isn't the case. And uh, in that sense, a person who has been overweight uh, probably has a tiny bit more mm -hmm. unfortunate experience, but experience nonetheless to go through that. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been painful but it's been interesting to discover, test, discover not, but test ourselves that if you were to eat pure fat, don't do it. But if you were to eat pure fat, you would actually keep losing weight, actually more weight, because your body would keep burning it. There would be no insulin to tell your body to start storing it and it would shrink. But don't do it because I've done it and it's not healthy. 40 grams of protein minimum. At the very, very least. Right, this was the first episode of this new January podcast. A new one is coming next Friday, so make sure that you follow and subscribe on Spotify, on any other of the podcast platform where you found this podcast. You can simply subscribe on YouTube and every Friday there will be a new podcast and every Monday and Wednesday there will be other videos, so extra stuff. Or if you're one of my lovely patrons, thank you so much for your support. This is the reason why if you're now on Patreon, if you go on Patreon, you have the full four episodes of the month already there for you to give you all the insight and knowledge that we'll give out throughout the rest of the month. Thank you so much for watching, listening, being with us for the last 20 minutes.